Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, hey, thanks for letting me come back. I, uh, I, uh, I left last week going, no, I'm going to get a phone call saying, hey, thanks for coming for that one time. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it. That's <laughs> uh, good, it didn't come. Hey, I did find it. I, I did not know you guys post sermons online, and uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I had a student come up to me this week and said, I heard your sermon. She's not a Christian. She doesn't believe in God, never goes to church. But she goes, what's a sermon? And so uh, the fascinating thing for me was, do you realize how many people just don't know things that we take as if everybody knows them? Like, I got students who have no idea about Jonah and the big fish. I've got students, uh, I had students one time in the youth group where I was quoting a Mel Brooks movie. And uh, in the movie, uh, Moses comes down from the mountain and he has 15 commandments. And he drops one tablet. And at the time, he says, God has given us these 15, and he drops one, and he goes, 10 commandments. And I had a student say, wasn't there originally only 15? There's, there's, there's people out there who just, who just don't, it, it's weird. As a kid, everybody I knew knew flannel boards and Jesus, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, like now, I'm like, man, I got, I got students in eighth grade who, who have no idea what a Bible is, who don't know what a sermon is. Uh, it was neat, though, because she said, I listened to it. She goes, you ramble. And I said, I, I do. I do. That is a very bad thing that I do. Uh, that's why I have notes. It, it kind of keeps me in the framework, even though this is not part of them. Uh, and she goes, you ramble, Mr. Moffat. And I said, I said, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I'm not going to say it now because in case she listens this week. But uh, I said, thank you. And she goes, did you know you spoke for 53 minutes? And I was like, oh, oh I didn't until now. Uh, she was like, you don't speak that long. So uh, I'm going to try to stay with her advice. And um, <laughs> I, Oh, boy. So uh, it's amazing. Out of the mouth of babes comes truth that, yep, you just got to uh, have into it. So, um, hey, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to have a fun Sunday. Uh, God, it is uh, good to be here. Um, it, it's fun. We laugh. We can talk. Uh, God, we're in a country where we are not threatened by police or government um, for what we believe. God, we can buy Bibles. We can have different kinds of Bibles. God, we're able to argue about our differences of theology and you. Um, God, my friends overseas who speak your name can be arrested and killed. Uh, God, we have a good life. Uh, I ask you to remind us of that daily. Um, God, where 8% of the world owns a car, uh, God, we are blessed. God, where we can have tap water and filtered water and flavored water and bottled water, uh, God, we are blessed. God, help us, uh, humble us to know who you are and what it means to follow you today. God, I give thanks for my new friends, uh, for being a part of a church. God, to understand the church is not a... A building is not a, a certain state or a city. God, this is worldwide family. God, I give thanks for these people. I just pray the friendships made and um, the conversations will always mean something to me. I give thanks for that. So, God, I ask you now, uh, just may my words and my mouth be quiet and may the things that you want to reveal be spoken. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, the, the, I, I want to share with you guys a couple of stories of some famous people. Uh, you might have remembered some of these stories. And then uh, after each story, I want to ask for your feedback. And then at the very end, just your, your wisdom. I'm always asking for, uh, for wisdom. Uh, I, I just, I'm not a very smart man. My wife lets me know that. And I um, just want um, feedback. There was a, a friend of mine once said, uh, he, he's, a, he's a professor at a school in Michigan, and he said uh, his little girl called the school. He said, God always has a way of humbling us. And so his little girl calls the school, and she um, calls the secretary, and the secretary is patching, him, or patching her through to her father, and her father knows who it is, and he says, this is the smartest man in the world, may I help you? And she goes, I'm sorry, I think I have the wrong number. Uh, there's always ways God's just kind of, I'll put you back where you need to be. Uh, I want to share with you a couple of pictures. I don't know if we're able to do this. Hopefully we can. Uh, this is Jean Henri, uh, Henri Fabre. He was an entomologist, and this guy did an amazing uh, science experiment where he got these caterpillars called processionary caterpillars, and he wondered what would happen, which is what science is. I tell my kids all the time, let's just pose a question, and let's just do it. Um, and then the principal comes down the hall saying, you can't do that in the hallway because uh, the explosion of vinegar is not good for our school. Uh, the things you learn. So uh, this guy, if you can go to the next slide for me, he took these processionary caterpillars and he lined them up in such a way he noticed that they travel one behind another. And so he lined them up and he had them travel to the very top of a flower pot. And they traveled in a circle for quite some time, uh, several days to be exact. And while they did this, uh, he noticed something that happened. Was he cut off the circle, so it was just a, a giant circle, but he'd allowed no more caterpillars to climb up. And then what he noticed was each caterpillar snugly put their head up the rear of the one in front of it. Now, if you don't know anything about circles, there's no beginning and no end. No pun intended. And so you have this circle of processionary caterpillars. Their heads are all up the rear of the one in front of it. There is no leader, and they're all following. So he wondered what would happen and how long this would happen. And here are some of his words. I, 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 I'll make sure I have them so in case nothing happens. This is from his journal. Okay, so this is a long time ago. So this is from his journal. He says, the procession, this is his idea of what's going to happen. The procession will go on turning for some time. For an hour. Maybe two, perhaps. Then the caterpillars will perceive their mistake. This is not working out for us. They will abandon the deceptive road and make their descent somewhere or other. Can you go to the next one? Later on, this is hours later, he writes again. That they should remain up there, hard-pressed by hunger and the lack of cover, when nothing prevented them from going away, seemed to me inconceivable imbecility. That is awesome. We don't say that anymore, and I think we should bring that back. Facts, however, forced me to accept the incredible. They're, they're not going to come down from this flower pot. Experience and reflection are not in their province. They're not very smart creatures. The ordeal of a 500 yards of march and three to 400 turns teach them nothing. They just keep doing it for some reason. They don't stop. Now, some of us have friends who are like this. They just keep doing the same thing and doing the same thing and doing the same thing. Sometimes they don't lift their heads up enough to see where they're going or where they've been, and they just keep going and going and going. And this can cause problems. Can you go ahead and go to the next one? Now, this was, this was awesome. In the day and age here, schools were starting to turn to the animal kingdom for answers. 
uh, evolution came about, the theory, the idea. And he says this, right? Talking about the school. The school in general, most highly honored today, is very anxious to find the origin of reason in the dregs of the animal kingdom. Like, we're going to find our answers from the animal kingdom. Then he says, let me call its attention to this pine processionary caterpillar. So his idea is, schools, if you're going to look for the animal kingdom for your answers, come watch my experiment and see what you can learn from this. There are several things that happened here and several lessons we can take from this. For example, I want to ask you, because I've, I've, I've shared this picture with students who have graduated, and I have asked them, what do you take away from this? So I want, I want to add, this is where you guys can comment. I want to ask you, processionary caterpillars, they were enticed to crawl up a flower pot. They walked in a circle around and around a few hundred times, several hundred turns, for seven and a half hours, I believe, until they died. And they snugly put their head up the rear of the one in front of them, and nobody changed path or direction. What do you take away from this? <laughs> Don't blindly follow because it makes you need it. I had I had one church tell me I can't say what I'm thinking out loud in church. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it friendly. Uh, yeah, don't blindly follow. Anything else? I think somebody mummered stupid. Which is... People are just like caterpillars. We can transform and become something beautiful, or we can snugly follow somebody until we die. Yeah, that's a good definition of insanity. Don't do the same thing expecting different results. How many of you guys know people who are like this? They blindly follow something or somebody, and they just keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. And you wonder, when will they learn? When I was a kid, I, I watched my dad make uh, omelets. My dad makes the greatest omelets in the history of all omelet making. And as a young sixth grader, I watched him in the kitchen make this omelet, and I was mesmerized by, on the stove, there is a round, hot thing that lights up when he turns a knob. And I wondered what this was all about. Sixth grade, mind you. I should have learned this a long time ago. So he puts a pan on top of this, and he cooks an omelet. And I have wondered, I had a thought in my head, and this is the hard thing with my life, is when I have a thought, I act on it usually. So I had this thought, what would happen if you stuck your tongue to that pan? When the thought crossed my mind, there's only one thing to do. And in science, when you have a thought, you have to test it and see if you can repeat it. Now, I was sitting in the living room with my dad, and I said, I'm going to go cook an omelet. And so he goes, do you know how? And I said, well, I've watched you enough. I think I can do this. So I scrambled the egg, and then I was mesmerized by this just orange-red glow. Just, it was amazing. And it was a flat oven. It wasn't like the raised, I don't know what you call these things. I'm a city boy, so forgive me. Uh, it wasn't the raised metal things. It was just a flat surface, and it was red. It would glow red and then kind of go away and glow red. And I was like, this is amazing. It's like E.T.'s stomach. And uh, so I put the skillet on, I put the eggs in there, and then I flipped the egg, and I was like, it's not too bad. It was horrible, but it's not too bad. Put it off, and then I said, here it is. So I gently stuck my tongue out, and I gently, slowly stuck my tongue to the skillet, which lasted no more than half a second. But uh, right away, I backed off real fast, and my dad said, what was that hiss sound? And I said, it was my tongue. <laughs> uh, my tongue had gone numb instantaneously. 
Uh, I couldn't feel it, so it didn't hurt too bad because I just couldn't feel it. It was, it was numb, and it burned, and it smelled really weird. Uh, you learn from these things. You learn from your mistakes, and you go, how many of you guys have ever made mistakes, and you've learned not to do them again? How many of you guys have made mistakes and did it again thinking you could actually be at this time? How many of you men are like me, and you drive somewhere going, next time I can beat my time? I will drive faster, or we will not stop and go to the restroom because we're going to make better time. For some reason, a lot of us are like a caterpillar. For some reason, some strange reason. Now, there's another guy. I want to show you this picture of this guy. Um, how many of you guys remember this in the 1980s? Anybody remember this guy? Lawn Chair Larry. Oh, boy, Lawn Chair Larry. Uh, Larry Walters, he dreamed of flying, but he was unable to. Uh, because of his health, he was not able to uh, be a part of the uh, Air Force, and he was not able to fly. So Lawn Chair Larry decided that he was going to get these uh, uh, eight-foot weather balloons, inflate them with his friends, because that's what you do. This is like a Texas thing. And, I'm from Texas. And uh, he got a lawn chair out, and he said, let's tie them to the lawn. Can you imagine this day? Let's get some weather balloons. Let's tie them to the chair, and let me go. Now, his thoughts were, I will gently take off and float um, for a while. Yeah, he packed, now he was smart, he packed a cooler, because in case you get hungry or thirsty, so he packed, he packed beer, peanuts, and a pellet gun, because when you're tired of floating in the air, you pop a balloon with a pellet gun, and you gently find your way coming back to earth. Now, the theory sounds incredible. The only way to know what would happen is to do it, so Lawn Chair Larry and his friends decided to do this. Now, I don't know more about the information as far as had they been drinking for a while? Was it late at night and they didn't sleep the night before? I, I don't know what was going on. Anyways, he went to a uh, surplus store, got the balloons, inflated them, and this is Larry. And Larry, I, I love this, I'm going to read it for you. Larry shot up, shot up. There was no gentle lift. Larry, oh boy, he rose, his chair rose, this is from a news article, his chair rose to about 16,000 feet. This is when you start thinking, this isn't what I planned. <laughs> and he was spotted by two commercial airplane pilots flying by as well. Now, <laughs> at first, he didn't shoot any balloons thinking this could go wrong. Which it hadn't already. Um... So fearing he would unbalance the situation and fall, he just floated. The problem was he drifted over Long Beach, California, into the airspace of an airport. This was a problem. Uh, this was definitely a problem. Now, I think I have it up here. You can listen to this online and you'll just laugh. Uh, can you go to the next slide? I think I have it. This is it. Perfect. So this is the control tower and the pilots. Here we go. What information do you wish to tell me, or to wish me to tell the airport at this time as to your location and your difficulty? Next slide. Here's Larry. Uh, <laughs> the difficulty is, uh, <laughs> this was an unauthorized balloon launch, and uh, I know I'm in federal airspace, and uh, I'm sure my ground crew has altered the proper authority, but... Uh, just tell them and tell them I'm okay. 
That's amazing. So he had his CB radio. This is where he made this call from. Can you go ahead and go to the next slide? Now, this is fascinating. When he was arrested, this was the uh, federal um, response. We know he broke some part of the Federal Aviation Act, and as soon as we decide which part, (laughs) some type of charge is going to be filed. That's our world. <laughs> You've got to love it. This is, you can't make this stuff up. This is awesome. Now, it's, it's also uh, neat. Uh, this is the next picture. He went on to become famous. He did end up, uh, I'm not sure if he took his own life. I-, I thought he did get depressed and took his own life. But Timex ran an ad about him, and they asked him why. Why he did this. And his simple catch-on phrase is, a man just can't sit around. And it's fascinating. So for you guys, let's stop here and let's pause for a second. Let's just take that phrase. You just can't sit around. Now, I'm 40 years old. So I'm like really close to dying because I think I'm going to make it to about 65. <laughs> That's my best guess. I, I've eaten too many boxes of ding-dongs and I, I eat packs of skills in my classroom I don't tell my wife about because I know it's not good. I've got a box of cheetahs I eat once a week. And I get about an eight-pack of those small Cokes because that makes me feel better than having a big Coke. Uh, and I drink those once a week. I know it's not good for me, uh, but I deal with eighth graders. So you do what you got to do. There's nothing illegal going on, so that's good news. But um, I don't feel like I have a lot of time left. My dad had a five bypass at 40 back in the 90s, and they didn't have all this cool stuff where you were gone in two days. It was He was there for a month or two. Uh, but I'm like, uh, you know, my mom passed away of cancer several years ago. We've got high blood pressure. We've got heart disease. So I know I don't have a lot of time left. Uh, unless God thinks it's funny to keep me going for a while, uh, we'll see. But uh, I take this phrase, a man can't just sit around. So I take this personally because I go home, I have four children. I have a 13-year-old, and I sat down with her the other day, and I said, Kellen, do you realize you're, you're 13 years old? I said, you are going to, you're, you're, an awesome, you're an awesome young lady. You are going to probably move out around 18 and go to college or start your life. I've got five years. And I said, and pretty soon you're not going to want to hang out with me anymore. And she rolled her eyes. Because I'm guessing pretty soon means now. (laughs) And so now I'm going, oh no, (laughs) I've got no more time. So I've just kind of like said, okay, I don't have four kids anymore. i got three. Uh, So I've got five years left with my 13-year-old daughter. Five years is all i got left. And I mean, I know I have time after that. But she'll move on to college. I've got five years to give her a foundation of belief systems, of life, of love, of what we stand for, what we believe in, what we what we live for, and then I say, please be careful in the world. Um, which means hopefully she'll just stay home for the rest of her life. I've got two boys who uh, love to shoot Nerf guns at me when I'm studying or reading. Um, I've got one five-year-old daughter who likes to paint my nails. And so when I come to, because when you're a cool dad, you let your five-year-old paint your nails. Even when you go to school the next day and your kids go, uh, what happened? Five-year-old. Right. Uh, you do what you do. And so I'm realizing I, I don't have a lot of time left with my kids. I remember when my first one was born, and now she's 13. Uh, you guys know this. Time is just it's gone. Uh, I, I remember my mom. I, I love my mom to death. She's the one who kept us to God. My dad was an atheist. My dad was a scientist until, uh, until his five bypass surgery. And he died on the operating table. A great place to die because the doctors are right there brought him back, and from that moment on, when he came back, he was never the same. 
He became a Christian. He, he was never the same man. Something happened to him that's personal that changed his life. Uh, he credits it to God. So I know one day I will see my mom again. I know that. I, I fully believe that. And I was telling my kids the other day, we were driving the car, and I said, my biggest fear, they asked me, what's your biggest fear, Daddy? And my little one goes, snakes. And uh, my older one goes, clowns, because they're both right. I can't stand either one of those things. Uh, and so um, I said, no, my, my biggest fear is if me and Mama pass away, like right now, I, I, don't, I want to see you again. My biggest fear is you will live a life and not knowing Jesus to where I won't see you again. That's, that's my biggest fear. And then my little boy, he's, he's the cuddle lover. He's like, I love God forever. Uh, and it, it's, it's one of those things. So for me, I take this personally going, you know, when I go home today, I, I can take a nap. I can prepare for my lesson. I can do a lot of things, or I can be with my kids. I can play with my kids. My wife and I have a policy where we try to um, have one-on-one time with kids. So, like, my wife took my oldest boy to his birthday dinner Tuesday night to Red Lobster because he loves seafood. I don't like seafood. And so, um, I didn't say that very loud, so they don't hear this online. And so, they went, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> so, they went to Red Lobster, and they had their time. Uh, Chili's will offer daddy-daughter date nights. So, I've taken my daughters to Chili's on daddy-daughter date nights, and I show them how we open doors for girls, how girls sit down, and then the men sit down. Um, I, I've taught them these things. Um, my, my wife takes my boys to Chili's uh, daughter, uh, mama, son nights. Uh, we try to have these moments, but my wife and I also realize we've seen in ministry, we've seen families crumble. And so in, in ministry, it's been hard because we've seen um, like parents get wrapped up in their kids' lives. Uh, I had one couple come to me, uh, this was like 2008, their kids graduated and moved on. And they sat in my office and said, we need to learn how to date again. And I was like, that moment I go, I'm going to take this moment and I'm going to apply it to my life now. Uh, I don't want my wife and I to be wrapped up in my, well, my kids, that sounds bad. I don't want us to be wrapped up in my kids' lives so much that we don't know how to date. So my wife and I make it a very uh, important thing to have time with our kids, have a family time, have time with one of us with one of our kids, uh, and then have time where she and I go on dates, and then have time where I'm with the guys and she's with the girls. We, all, we have to have times like that. So we try to balance this all out. So I look at this and I go, you can't just sit around. There's things to do. I look at this as a church. And uh, there's churches out there who you've, you've got, you know, five people doing everything. You, you have churches who you can't just sit around. Uh, when we, we started, my wife and I decided we left Indiana to go back to Texas in 2010. And then around 2000, it's what, 18 now? So 17, we moved back. So 2015, two years before we came back here, uh, I never thought she would move back here because of snow and cold. Because we don't have that in Texas. And um, she goes, we were, we were sitting in bed talking, and she goes, what do you think about moving back to Indiana? And I'm like, <laughs> but of course, i got to be cool. So I'm like, well, you know, you know, if you want to. And I, just, I roll over and go, ah! You know, I'm so excited. I'm the big girl. And uh, so we start talking about it, and then it's like, you know, we have to sell a house, get a job, and find a place to live with four kids. Not easy. It's scary. And so uh, we decided to do that. But one of the things when we came back here was we said, um, we're not just going to sit in a pew. We're not going to do that. We're not going to be people who just come to church. Because being a pastor, I was begging people all the time for help. And if you've been begged for help, I'm sorry, but now I'm, I'm, this is me. So I was begging people, Can you, I, need, I need people to help work with my little kids. You know, we had a youth group of eight, and then in five years we had about 300. So it was kind of like, we need help. If you can love kids, just, if you can just show them how to live a good life, just Please come with us. You don't have to teach anything. Just come help us. 
And so uh, our biggest thing coming back here was we're not just going to sit. We're going to be a part of something. So I'm starting a, like, a guys club at my school. In, in Texas, I started a third grade men's club. We were the Pirates, so it was called Moffitt's Mateys. It made the news. We had little man cards. We met on Friday mornings. I taught them how to shake hands, look each other in the eye. I taught them how to open doors for girls. I taught them how to be respectful. Uh, I taught them how to tie ties. I asked for donations for ties, and 150 ties came in. I had five boys starting off. We ended up with like 55 at the end. Uh, we had policemen come in and firefighters come in and businessmen come in. They all came in and told us, this is what we're looking for in young men. It was amazing to see what had happened there, and so I'm gonna, I'll be doing that here as well. Uh, just trying to do all kinds of ministry. And so I think the biggest thing for us is ministry is not just taking place in this building. So if you have, uh, I have some guys who aren't fond of church because they've been burned in the past. So on Tuesday nights, we're going to start meeting at my house. Or we're going to meet uh, at a place where we can have a Coke and a smile. These are things that just have to be creatively done. We can't just sit around and just wait. Uh, there's a bumper sticker that I don't know how to take. It says, uh, Jesus is coming, look busy. I'm not sure if that's like, he's coming, so like, kids, mom's coming, hurry, do something good. Uh, or if that's like, hey, he's coming back. When he walks in, don't be sitting there going, Durr. I don't know, I don't know how to take that yet, but that's my thoughts. Uh, so from you guys, some of you guys have a lot more experience on life and things than I do. So um, on this statement here, you can't just sit around. Many of us have missed opportunities or things. What are your thoughts from that? That's what I want to know. I, want to, I, I need to take some stuff home. What are your thoughts on this? You can't, you can't just sit around this life. It's sad because everybody's sitting right now. <laughs> <laughs> any, any thoughts? Hmm. I like that. That's good. I think we should be examples to the world. You know, if we profess Christianity, we should use Jesus Christ as our example and live our lives as, as best as we can, like Christ, in in all our lives. Yeah. You know, in our place of worship, in our place of, of employment, when we're out in the, in the in shopping centers, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because there's too many of us Sunday Christians. Hmm. I like that phrase, Sunday Christians. Yeah. Yeah, because you're going to be attacked. You'll be attacked by our, our new. You watch the news. I don't watch the news anymore. If you watch the news, it's just sad. I'm sad. I'm sad. It's like, is anybody taking a stand for anything? Uh, in my classroom, uh, it's really hard. Um, to go from a school in Texas that was very Christian, it's a public school, but very Christian, to come up to the school I'm at now that's not, uh, I hear like students all the time in my classroom uh, saying God's name in a wrong way. Uh, and, and I, I, to, to take God's name, we talked about last week, we talked about holy and unholy. We're talking about there's, there's, there's right and wrong, there's pure and uh, unpure, and there's clean and unclean. It's Leviticus. And I, I was talking to my daughter at her birthday this past October. Um, I said, hey, Kendall, your mom wants to take a picture of you and all your friends. And my daughter, for the first time in her entire life, she said, Jesus Christ. And it crushed me. One, I was like, I failed as a father. Two, does she not have any independence with her relationship with God? And I have failed that. 
Three, who is influencing my daughter? And who is she hanging out with? Because this is not something that happens in our family. We don't watch shows like that. We don't talk like that. Something's happening to her. So either she's going to be an influence or she's going to be influenced. And I remember stopping her going, and right away she knew, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, you are so lucky it's your birthday or you would be dead. Uh, and I, I walked away, which I love my kids. I think you can do that to your kids. I'm not sure. Don't tell the police because I don't know if I can arrest you for that. But it's just one of those things where in my classroom I hear this all the time. And so I have to, at first, I, I wouldn't say anything. Now it bothers me so much that now I say stuff. And I try to keep it a little bit light. So like when I have one girl who doesn't believe anything about God and Bible because she's never been taught. And she'll ask me questions. How do you, how do you believe this? So uh, she'll say something, and I'll say, I won't say her name out loud right now, because in case of word gets out, I've talked. She, uh, she'll say something, and I'll say, where? Where is he? I need to ask him a question. And she'll say, Mr. Moffat, you know what I meant. And I'm like, wait, did you see him? Is he white? Because I have a hard time with people who are saying he's either white, European, or he was, uh, he was Jewish. I, I got to know, is he big nose, small nose? And she's like, Mr. Moffat, stop. <laughs> or they'll say, they'll say GD, which is another phrase. And I'll say, wait a second. Nothing has ever been damned by God. So show me what you're talking about. Mr. Moffat, you know what we're, we know what we're talking about. But you got to show me. This is science. You've got to prove it. Uh, so it's, I try to make it light, but they've caught on. So now other students. I have, now I'm finding out who the Christians are in my classroom. Because now they say stuff. They stand up and say stuff. And we're taking this to heart. This is in my classroom. I have this in my classroom. And so there's times all day long I quote scripture, but I, I never say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I don't say that. I say it, and it's neat, because some of the kids go, that's from my Bible. And I'm like, it's from mine too. <laughs> we must have the same. Mr. Moffat, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. All right, last story. Uh, here's the last story. Uh, this is, uh, have you guys ever seen Man on Wire? It's a great movie. Uh, anyways, this was a guy who said, when he was a young child, uh, he saw a picture of the two towers going up. And he drew a line. Uh, with a pen from one tower to the other tower and said, I want to walk across that, which is what you normally do, right? And, uh, yeah, it's funny. So, uh, Philippe is his name. And so he decided that he was going to do this. It's neat. Uh, this is his story. This is from Time Life. It says, uh, he was an artist about 24 years old, and he gained fame for his high-wire walk between the ten towers in 1974. So he was about 1,350 feet above the ground which is a little bit less than 16,000 feet in a lawn chair. Uh, he rigged a 450-pound cable and used a custom 26-foot balancing pole weighing 55 pounds. Now, he looks like he weighs 55 pounds, and that pole weighs 55 pounds. He performed for 45 minutes. And he would make eight passes along the wire, during which he walked, he danced, he laid down, he saluted watchers, he kneeled down on the wire, and then even some of the police were quietly cheering him on. Uh, pretty fascinating. Then eventually, when he was finally coaxed to come down because it started raining, uh, they got him down. He was arrested, brought down to the police cars. And right before they put him in the police car, they were asking him, why would you do something like this? And he says, you Americans are so funny. You're always asking why. Which is neat. I have friends who do not live in America and do not live in Western culture. They live in Eastern culture, and they have the same thought, going, why do you ask why? Why, why are you asking? I asked my students the other, night, uh, the other day in class, I said, if you're traveling the speed of light in a car, and someone was like, yeah, that's what we do. I said, you turn on your headlights, what happens? 
And then we have, and I said, discuss. And so we have this little time that we just go, nothing. Oh, are you sure? I think your beam will go faster. Are you sure? Maybe it goes backwards. And of course that leads to, how does your beam of light go backwards? Oh, can it? I don't know, Mr. Moffat. Well, let's find out. How? I don't know. Uh, and our minds just blow up. It's fascinating. But it's neat. He said things like this. He said, you, you Americans are always funny. You're always asking why. How many of you guys have ever asked a question to God, beginning with why? Yeah, I have. Plenty of times. This was his statement taken from the magazine. You know, why? Why? A very American finger-snapping question. I like that. I do something magnificent and mysterious, this thing, and I got a practical why. And the beauty of it is, I didn't have any why. You just did it. It's funny how we, um, we do this. We'll ask, why? God, why? As, as if, but it's funny because at the same time, as a parent, I will tell my kids, you don't have to ask me why. I'm the parent. But yet, I will go to God and say, why? I can see God going, uh, excuse me. I'm the God. Yes, sir. We don't have to ask why. Sometimes we ask why and we miss the entire beauty. I was on a ski trip one time with a youth group and we were in Colorado seeing the mountains. And so this is the first time these, a lot of these kids were ever out of Louisiana. And they saw these mountains. And every time we kept driving towards the mountains, we'd see little hills. And they'd say, is that a mountain? No, that's, that's just a hill. And we'd get a little bit higher. Is that a mountain? No, that's, that's just a hill. And then when they finally saw the mountains, it, 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 was, it was fascinating. Because I had seen them many times. And so I, I had kind of lost the wonder and the splendor and the gorgeous of it all. And for me it was, I could ski that one. I'd like to ski that one. Um, but for them it was, this is majestic. This is, this is beauty. This is, how can this be? How did this happen? And so all of these feelings came to the front, and I'm sitting there going, let it go. We can ski this. Uh, and I, I had kind of lost some of this. In life, sometimes we get to this point where we ask why. Like uh, when my mom passed away of cancer, yeah, I remember in 2009 going, why? Why did this have to happen? Why did she have to get cancer? Why couldn't it have been somebody who's already a horrible, horrible person? <laughs> that sounds bad. So I guess I won't see you guys again. Um, why couldn't it have been like a snake that was already going to die? You know, uh, why does cancer have to exist? Why? Why do we have to lose loved ones? Why? And I kept asking why and why and why and why. And the beauty of it, I found myself in more dialogue with God than ever. Uh, there's times uh, when life is good, I don't find myself in dialogue with God very often. But when life is struggling and life is hard, I find myself at His feet, going, "Why." And the whys are not answered, but I find myself in the beauty of going, I am here, and he's there. Like, he's not somewhere else. He's not far away. He's not far off. He's here. He's present in the midst of all of this pain and all the suffering. Now, today, I, I want to end with you guys with just three scriptures. So, if you have a Bible, I think I have them actually on the screen. Is the first one? Yeah. How many of you guys have ever heard this scripture? Paul says, one thing I know is forgetting what's in the past, what's behind, and I strain for what's ahead of me. Different translations say different ways. Now, think about Paul's life. Shipwrecked, bitten by animals, flogged, beaten, stoned, left for dead, abandoned. Anybody relate? And I still complain. I woke up this morning going, it's 67 in the house. Who turned the thermostat down? And I, 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 I had my little 
hissy fit. And yet, there's times I wonder if I go to heaven, if Paul's going to be like, really? You had a 67 degree day? Let me tell you about my life. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, you had a pretty bad one. Uh, this is so some advice I'm trying to hold on to. I, I don't know what has always happened. I don't know why my past has been the way it has been. Maybe it's to make me who I am today. I don't have to dwell there. Sometimes forgiveness is one of the hardest things. Um, and so I, there's, there's times we hold on to things in the past. Maybe some of you guys haven't let go of something. Maybe some of you guys are holding on to some, something that's making you bitter or angry or upset. Family members, family reunions. Something has happened and you're just holding on to whatever junk that is and you can't let it go. There's something that's gone on in the past. Maybe something happened a long time ago and you've forgotten exactly why you're fighting, but for some reason you find yourself not being able to move on. Uh, the next scripture, can you go to the next scripture? This is from Deuteronomy. This is a comforting scripture. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Um, how many of you guys are, are nervous on new experiences? Good, five of you. Okay. Um, I need the rest of you to teach me. Uh, new experiences. Uh, it was fascinating. This past week, the school came to me and said, hey, the kids have asked if you can coach track. Will you coach track? And I said very clearly, I have never coached track. Well, we know you've coached before. Coaching basketball and soccer is a little different than coaching track. We run. I don't know anything about track. And so uh, they're like, that's okay. Neither did anybody else the first time they coached. <laughs> so I'm like, this will be the one and only time I'm going to coach track because they're going to see me out there going, we're never asking him again. So this year in the paper, when Eastern does not do well on track, I want you to think of this guy. This guy. Uh, I like this. The Lord himself goes before you. Goes before you. Job interviews. New relationships. Uh, new, uh, my daughter came home and she goes, I like a boy. Bam. I'm not sure how I feel about that. You're not allowed to like a boy until you're 30. That's just a rule. Uh, so we're going to have some talks. And I'm telling her, God's going to go before us and, and take care of this problem. There are times uh, in life, things get so hard. Things get so complicated. Things get so frustrating. God, God's with us. That's, that's a big thing I want you to take away today. You're not, you're not alone. This is not a God. The fascinating thing about the gods of the old is they were bound to borders. The God of Egypt, the God of Israel. And so when, this is why, that, oh, if you ever need a sermon on Jonah, I want to come back for Jonah. Anyways, let's keep going. But I want you to take away from this. Is that your new experiences, wherever you're going, looking for a pastor, looking for help in youth ministry, looking for help in music or whatever it is. And your music's fascinating. I love your music here. Um, God goes with you. 